Welcome to CX and Shul, the real raw customer experience podcast by Exo Studios, the creative arm of ExtendOps. Today, get ready for an in-depth convo with hosts Sean McCreary and Chris Venezia, the visionary CEO of Proofpilot. Join us as they delve into Chris's remarkable career journey, the invaluable lessons learned through hands-on experiences, the energy that stems from a well-deserved team victory, and tales with Tom Cruise impersonators. CX and Chill starts now. Hey guys, Sean McCrary here. I am doing another episode of CX and Chill. I am very excited today because I am with my good friend, Chris Venezia. How are we doing, Sean? Pretty good. I feel like, you know, we've, we've been talking about this podcast for a while, but it's taken a while to actually happen. The build up, the build up has been real. So let's see if we deliver. I don't, I, I mean, I, I think the pressure is pretty high. I'm, I'm, I'm a little nervous to be honest, but, but Chris, I mean, let's start like, I think how we start all these and like, so who are you? Like, what do you do? Well, first, can we start with the fact that I appreciate that you wore, you know, some clothing today? That's, that's I, a good I start. I put some sleeves on today, even though, to be fair to me, we're still in Vegas and it's about 100 degrees. So. Those are high shorts, though. So, I mean, we you are got, still, you gotta, still... You got to stick with the five inches. Okay. Yeah, five inches. Five inch shorts. Cool. Five inches of the move. It's going from seven inches to five <laughs> inches now. So. Usually, and then there's some swimsuits that are four. Usually you want to increase, but that's, that's <laughs> fine. We'll take, we'll take it. Uh, so who am I? Uh, Chris Venezia, uh, currently the CEO of a company called Proofpilot uh, in the pharmaceutical technology space. Sean and I obviously have known each other for for many years. I think it's it's almost ten uh, by 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 accounts. Is it ten? Just about twenty fourteen ish. Yeah. Twenty fifteen ish, give or take. We're getting there. Crazy. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, I feel like we've become better friends since we stopped working. A hundred percent, like not seeing one thousand percent. Yeah, it's, it's weird. It's distance like a, has worked well for it's us. It's a long for distance sure. relationship yeah. that's really worked out. Yeah, so. for sure. Um, all right, so you're at so you're at Proof Pilot now. Yes, I think your story is pretty cool because, I mean, so just so everyone knows, like Chris was actually sort of the one that changed my career. He was sort of my first manager that empowered me and gave me a lot of responsibility, and I think sort of changed actually the direction of my career. So it's. I'm very excited to talk to Chris about his journey and everything that he's done. But so, so you were, we were at Thompson Reuters, we were working together and, and then we, you know, started doing the whole name change game. And I think we had a few different uh, jerseys that we wore, sure. but um, I mean, at, at Thompson Reuters, what were you doing there? Yeah. So Thompson Reuters, I came there via acquisition. Like a lot of companies get to Thompson Reuters. I worked at a small group at Deloitte, uh, which is unusual for Deloitte to send an acquisition to Thompson Reuters way. Um, my whole career has been in the pharma technology space, give or take, a little bit in consumer tech as well. Uh, during my time at Thompson Reuters, I ran a sales organization uh, across North America and then eventually globally. Uh, and then Sean uh, ran our nonprofit and government division. And uh, if I remember, the first time I met you uh, was at a sales kickoff in, I think, Orlando, I want to say. Uh, I think it was Orlando. Orlando. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I remember the moment because it was pretty funny. One, you were wearing full suit outside in Orlando. Oof. Very nice suit as well. I think it was Ugh. a Canali suit. And uh, you saw my group that was presenting and we got a room, I remember. And your group at that time did not get a room to present. <laughs> yeah, and funny. I remember seeing this big, tall, <laughs> handsome gentleman in a nice suit screaming, what the hell? How does this this department get a group, get a, a room? But but I don't. And that was my introduction to Sean. Uh, yeah, I realized, you know, the teams that really made money got rooms. <laughs> That's so basically, that, was, that was a learning, was you know, for me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, we had a, an, uh, an awesome leader that came on board that both Sean and I are still uh, really close with, Ramsey Hashem. Mr. And, Hashem. you know, he thought putting the two of us together would be fun. And and we had a fantastic run for, for a while, I would say. I mean, for a little bit. And yeah. Then, yeah. And then I think what's actually really cool about this and because it's a story that I tell a lot of our employees at our company right cool. now is that, you know, that moment, you know, when my career changed and like I, I had real responsibility, like more or less, I'm like, hey, here's my strategy. This is my idea. It's new and it's different. It's sort of outside what the role would typically require or sort of allow. And more or less, I had Chris and, and our friend, you know, Mr. Ramsey Hashem that more or less empowered me, enabled me. I think for me, though, like a big part of it was like, and I tell my employees, this is you need to know what you want to do, right? You need to know what the strategy is. Like if you get an, it's like, it's one thing to get an opportunity. It's another thing to actually like know what to do with the opportunity. Right. And I think what was cool is I had a general idea of what to do, but then I had the leaders that trusted me enough to give me that opportunity to do it. 
Yeah. And I think ultimately like that moment and like knowing what to do in that moment was what changed my career. So yeah. very grateful to, to Mr. Hashem and Mr. Venezia for yeah. that. So, but you had the expertise and I think my, my group at the time, um, and we were a small team that went from eight people to 65 in a two year period. And, and Sean and his team were, were a big part of that. Uh, we had some really interesting, uh, approaches and work ethic was number one. And, uh, very um, old school boiler room based in terms of our our go to market and sales metrics heavy, uh, but Sean and and his team really brought the expertise and similar to you, I always look at that as an interesting way in which my career developed. In that you know, there's work ethic that is you know table stakes that you have to just kind of yeah. do day to day, but you know, bringing in the relevant expertise and know how in the industry when you marry those two together, you know, anything is 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 possible to accomplish. Oh yeah, I mean, I think like. In terms of like people empowerment, which is again just a huge yeah. theme for for our industry and our space. Like, I mean, I think I I think it, with that team and sort of that time, like I I sort of recognized and realized the importance of culture, right? And I think everyone talks about it. Like, you, you were also pushing me hard, going, "Hey, like, when I was living in Boston, you're like, go to the Boston office, go to the office." He's like, and you're like, "Hey, like, I know it kind of sounds stupid, but just go there, see what happens, spend time with some of the people on the team, and." Like Mr. Hashem was obviously one of those people in the office. Yeah. And I mean, the impact of being together, you know, with the right people, like kind of in a we're very like-minded individuals, we want to achieve the same thing, man, it just creates this awesome, awesome culture where everyone sort of wants to work harder for one another. Totally. And I mean, that's where you're successful. Totally. That's when things work. So yeah. I learned, I think for me, like a lot of the principles of like how we built, you know, our company extend ops is very much based on sort of the, the, the things that I learned during that period of time. Yeah. But I think, I guess the other part that's really cool about like the story here is that, you know, about a year and a half into working with Chris, you know, one of my customers approached me and offered me a pretty awesome opportunity to, uh, you know, be the, I think the COO at, at the organization. And so obviously a huge, you know, career move for me. Awesome. And I remember calling Chris and, I, and, you know, it's never fun when you go and call like, you know, your manager to go, Hey, like I'm leaving or I found an interesting opportunity. And like, I mean, the first thing Chris said is like, dude, like you have to take it. And like, let's figure out how to like, you know, do this right and transition the right way for you. But it was all about like him being stoked for me and like my journey and getting to like where I wanted to go. So like, to me, like that's good leadership. And like, that's what I try to tell a lot of like really all of our employees. It's not like, it's not necessarily like you, you look at what you want to do in your career, even just like just five years out. What are you going to do and uh, where do you yeah. want to go? And I don't know. Like, I think to me, like I, it doesn't necessarily have to be with me that, that adventure, it doesn't have to be with the company, but it's helping people get to where they want to go, which is really cool. Yeah. So culture, you know, a lot of people have different definitions of what culture is. I think at the, at the very beginning of it, it's when you start to work with somebody and you even go through the interview process, mm -hmm. you know, can you, can you vibe with that person? Do you have an invested interest in their career? can you guys have a great relationship together? And if you have those as kind of the baseline, mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to be big stuff, just those small little pieces, uh, you could go an incredibly long way because you start believing in investing in the person, not yeah. necessarily the day-to-day -day job role. Uh, and when you invest in the person, inevitably you know that they're gonna get better opportunities, uh, whether it's internally or externally. And if you're committed to that individual, you know why would you not root for them? Everyone's success um, is, 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 you know, is, is your success, right? As, yeah. as people do well, uh, in their careers, it only is a better reflection on, on the person that kind of, you know, worked with them, mentored them, so on and so forth. So, uh, awesome for me to see kind of what you've accomplished and obviously extend ops is, you know, the sky's the limit there, which is, which is amazing. It's a lot of fun, but I think it's, it's again, like what's cool too, is that I think when you do that transition from like a company, yeah. Like it was, I mean, we could not have left on better terms and our relationship got better, you know, as sort of our journeys, you know, went our separate directions. But, you know, I think we found ways to stay integrated and continue to work together and collaborate, which I thought what, was really What What cool. percentage of the reason why you left the Thomson Reuters corporate way was because you wanted to wear tank tops and, and shorts? Oof. I mean, 70? I didn't realize it right away. Okay. Yeah. Like, cause I still was like, you know, I was, I was in Boston at the time, the role I took after I was in Cambridge. So I was still like... You know, I wanted to be like that kind of cool consultant, you know, wear designer, like, you know, dress clothes. Yep. But it's just, I don't know, for me, it was like, I kind of got to a point, I think the East Coast summers kind of killed it. It's like, man, <laughs> like, this is really uncomfortable. Like, this is not what I want to do anymore. Yep. So, I mean, I think, I think part of it too is like, just like being yourself. And I think 
I mean, honestly, I think COVID, you know, everyone working from home, you sort of like it's your personal style becomes more acceptable in the business setting. I think I would have liked to seen this look going into like Children's Hospital of Philadelphia as an example <laughs> to see if we, we could have, you know, pulled off some of the different <laughs> transactions. Yeah, I mean, you did. know, I'm really I'm, I'm wearing bracelets. Yeah, that's, now. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. I mean, there's the, even I mean, and I had a necklace tan the other. The other uh, wow. That's, on, a, so. that's strong. I almost took a picture of it, but I'm like, I don't know who I when really you transition it. from bracelet to bracelets. It's another it's another level. Yeah. When you start stacking bracelets. Yeah, and, that's you know, true. Like I, I ordered an amulet for uh, a necklace the other day. So <laughs> that's, I mean, which is tough. I, to, it's on, like it's tough to hear. Yeah. Am- amulet. Wow. That's <laughs> <laughs> not it's not really good. Not really to say there. <laughs> so. Sorry. Right, so we talked about like our Thompson Reuters time mm-hmm. together. So, and then, well, I think what's cool, like with both of us actually in our stories, right. Is we started doing the whole big company thing. We're doing the whole big company thing, dealing with sort of all the corporate stuff, politics and all the things that, you know, I think, I think maybe make it harder for there to be as much innovation at sort of the pace you want it to happen at. So we both kind of dipped our feet into the, the whole startup world. Right. And I think what's cool is like, I mean, I'd love to hear more about, you know, when like when you transitioned from like a a big company like a Thompson Reuters to a startup, like, you know, what was sort of like the driving force there? Like, why did you do that? Yeah, I think when any anyone who has that entrepreneurial bug or spirit in them, when they're working at a big company, inevitably um, they get stifled, whether it's creativity or. Um, you know, just growth into other areas. And the only way to kind of scratch that is, is to go to a small organization where you could be a, you know, a bigger fish in a, in a small pond. Um, and when I made the transition from large organization to startup, a small organization, um, it was really because I felt like I, uh, you know, I wanted a little bit more control of the process. I wanted to be more involved. I felt like I had a good pulse of customers and, and can understand customer needs relatively quickly. Uh, and you know, no, no better place to do it where you have direct impact on whatever product or service you're selling. So that was a big transition, um, and, and a driving force there. Uh, but what they don't tell you is what you lose when you don't have the big infrastructure around Ooh. you, right? Yeah. The support, um, the, the process, uh, all the different operations that you kind of take for granted that need to be created from scratch. And, uh, it takes a couple years to understand that, that that's okay, that that doesn't exist. And mm-hmm. your job is really to build infrastructure. Yep. I think that's that's the one thing that gets hidden in the the glitziness of moving to a startup is that you know you have to kind of do a lot of the dirty work of yeah. the things that nobody sees. Uh, everyone gets the opportunity to see you know the the marketing and the, all the sales pitches and all that, but um, you know healthcare benefits and uh, operations for the organization, overall financials, all those things that, again, are the unseen parts to the job. Uh, those become overwhelming and challenging. But you know, again, back to building the right team around you, getting the right culture, yeah. getting the right people. Um, you know, everybody enjoys that process of Thing building. Like, for me, it's perfects the enemy of good. And, totally. And it's like when you're, you sort of kind of realize at a certain point, it's like, yo, like I'm not going to have anywhere close to the infrastructure. But the thing is, like, there's certain things you need more than others. And it's just sort of an exercise of ruthless prioritization going, hey, like, these are the, like, this infrastructure can be this good. I know I can make it better, but that's not worth my time. Yeah. And sort of, I think learning how to do that prioritization on the infrastructure front, I think allows you to, you know, do things at the pace that you want to, you know, go out without wasting time on unnecessary things. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, so like, so you went to what? You were at Signals, right? Worked at a company called Signals Analytics. It was um, an Israeli startup. Uh, we got there, and the organization, organization was making a big pivot from being a, historically a service-based business to become more SaaS-oriented, tech-enabled. Uh, and you know, what's interesting when you walk into an organization like that, similar, right, where they had a lot of process um, built already on how do you take people and and build service. How do you transition that into a technology environment, which brings in all other sorts of problems and challenges? Um, and uh, you know, we we were doing it at you know the speed of light, right? We we had to create infrastructure, we had to create new product, uh, and with every startup, you know, you only have a certain amount of runway yeah. before you run out of time. Uh, and we were a series. I want to say Series C was probably like Series Q with the amount of investments and time we had there. Oh, wow. um, but we we had pivoted a few times. Um, can say successful uh, exit there. Uh, company was acquired by an organization known as Kenshu. It's now rebranded as an organization called Sky. Uh, but they were doing some really interesting things um, in the consumer space uh, and and as well as in pharma 
doing predictive analytics, um, taking uh, social media data, taking uh, reviews, uh, and trying to do pre uh, trend prediction, which was uh, which was pretty cool. Um, however, you know, again, transitioning from service to product, how do you productize that approach? Yeah. What's a product people are going to use? How do you sell it? You know, I assume when you joined the company, together. it was already a product, right? Sure. You know, yeah. Like, like every startup, yeah. you know, it looked, it looked fantastic. And yeah. then you get under the hood and you start realizing, you know, ah, it's my job to fix yeah. some of this Kind stuff. of in the services space right now, <laughs> even though I thought I was in more of a product like tech space. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So that's always fun. So wait, so it, so it was an Israeli based company. So Correct. like, were you, were you traveling, did you, you go to Israel at all? I spent uh, about two years going to Israel every six weeks. Really? Six w weeks? Yeah. So I went, wow. yeah, basically, you know, two times a quarter. Um, you know, what they, what they don't tell you on, on those types of trips and th that type of experience um, is the impact it's going to have on you culturally and personally. You know, everyone always looks at the, the travel. Well, you have two ways to look at travel, right? Like there's the fun part of it. You're going to new places, et cetera. And there's the challenging part. If you have a family, uh, lifestyle changes there. Uh, but what I would say is the the part that resonated most with me and looking back on it is Israel in particular is a very different country. Like, right? you know, everyone thinks a certain thing about Middle East type area. Uh, first thing that I noticed when I landed was palm trees. And I didn't think about that uh, and the beach and the unbelievable experience there. Uh, but it's such a close knit community. You, you develop some really cool um, and interesting relationships there that I still have today. Uh, but working at time zone differences like that Ugh. is crazy. You know, 11 hour flight to get back and forth. Uh, work week is different, right? They are, they, they're off on Fridays, work on Sundays. So all of a sudden, very quickly, yeah, that was right. Yeah, you have a six-day work week, you know, pretty fast, and you don't even realize it. Uh, but overall, you know, the what I would say is it, you know, taught me a lot of how to prioritize um, managing your time. Um, really starting to distill an organization down to who's building product and who's selling product, and yeah. try to simplify it as much as possible. Uh, but yeah, the the team there was you know was unbelievable, right? To go from a team of you know, 70 plus consultants yeah. to 15 developers mm -hmm. and to try to do that overnight while trying to find product market fit, while selling something that uh, is different in industry, while building a team in an office here in the States, um, you know, startups move incredibly fast and try to do a lot of things simultaneously, which is always fun. Yeah, you know, it's funny is that I think it, I think it was a year ago, like around this time, we were actually here in Vegas. I yep. remember we were, I think, just walking to Caesars at the time and we were sort of talking to strategy. I think I was asking you for some advice and uh, I think you sort of shared, you know, some of your experience, you know, with me at signals, right? Yep. Like, cause you were, you were running commercial there when you joined my, right? you're the chief commercial officer yep. when you joined, when you joined that company. And I think you were more or less, you had some strategic kind of, I think decisions to make as to where you took the business commercially, where it's like, Hey, am I going to focus just, you know, on, you know, this vertical or am I going to focus on maybe these two? Yeah. Right. And I think, I, I, I mean, do you remember that? conversation? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, can you share it? Cause I thought that was like, I, to me, it was yeah. really, you know, sage advice and like helped me make some decisions as to like, Hey, like, do I double down on what's working or do I take like this quick expansion yeah. opportunity? Yeah, the the first thing when you when you get an opportunity to, to to run a show, right, to be a manager or run a group or a department, whatever the case is, is you think of all the opportunities and possibilities, right? And usually, if you're ambitious, you're thinking of fifty different things. I could sell this product. I could do this offering. I could do all these different things. And and the truth to success is being really good, if not great, at just one thing. Yeah. And nailing that. Yeah. Uh, and it's very, 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 very hard to not fall to the temptation of doing many different things simultaneously. Yep. But you end up doing, you know, a hundred different things that give, you know, your little bit of attention on each of those. Um, and unfortunately the results are, are usually not that great because you're not heavily invested. So, you know, anyone that I speak to that's in a situation, I, I give that advice. Uh, I, I still today fall victim to that, right? My, my company proof pilot has lots of different products and services that we're touching and, yep. All the time we talk about how we're probably doing a little too much or we should focus on this area and so on and so forth. Uh, but that's that is unbelievable advice. And that's something that I just learned through experience and something that most people will will probably relate to. Yeah, I had a, I, last week I had a, had a really good conversation with someone I really respect. And I, I think a quote he had was, you know, strategy is all about what you don't do. Yeah. 
And I, I mean, I think that's just perfectly said because I mean, especially like when you're doing a startup, you're trying to make it work. I mean, time's not on your side. Yeah. And I think it's a matter of being smart with that, what you use your team's time to yeah, do. Totally. And, I mean, but like knowing, knowing what to do and when to do it, sort of an art, right? You have to really have, I think, and I think that's, I think what makes you such a great leader um, is that. I think having that commercial understanding, but that appreciation for what I think, I mean, operationally needs to happen to execute on what you're yeah, pitching commercially totally. is I think seeing it from both those perspectives is interesting. And I think what I've learned too, and what I've seen just, you know, I'm personally starting it up, it's like, you know, you, you and I both have like commercial backgrounds, yeah. we're sales dudes. And uh, I think like, you know, as you start, obviously you start, you run your own show, like you got to make sure that what you're selling is actually deliverable, sure. right? And it actually yeah. happens, but also it's scalable, it's profitable, all of those different things. So you really have to almost like, I remember like with this business, like, like I had like the first two years, I didn't focus on selling. I yeah. just focused on like, hey, how do I build the best product possible? Knowing that like, you know, I, I had strategies in place to like help expand commercially, but I mean, it was all about making sure we had a superior product and we could actually deliver it in a scalable fashion. Yeah. So like, I mean, for you, like, like looking at you and like, I mean, I think what's always been what I really like respected about you is that, you know, you understand like commercially what needs to happen, but you also know like what you need to do in terms of personnel infrastructure to actually get it done. Well, the personnel part's the hard one because what you hate doing is when you build up so much internal momentum and everyone's excited about the company and all the possibilities is you got to start saying no to people. Yep. Right. And what you don't want to do is kill that spirit by telling people, no, that's not a good idea or investment of time or energy or things like that. Uh, but you have to have that North star. If you don't have a North star and everyone's rowing in the same direction, uh, you end up exactly in the same spot that we were chatting earlier about that. You know, you're doing too many things, all of them kind of, you know, not as well as you'd like. And you just, there's only so much time uh, in a day to give energy and effort towards. Yeah. It's the truth, man. So, all right. So coming back to it. So, all right, we're at signals, yep. right? And now, you know, it sounds like successful exit there. You know, everyone, you know, leaves happy. I assume that's you. Some people. Yeah. Some people. <laughs> some people happier some more, than others. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Yeah. So, all right. So then after that, yeah. so where'd you go? Yeah. So, um, you know, funny enough. And one, one thing that's always important as you, you know, go about in your career, you know, obviously try your best to, you know, as you leave organizations and people you work with, uh, to, to be open and have great communication and try never to burn bridges. And the reason why is for the most part, industry and business overall is, you know, small, everyone talks, everyone knows, uh, an opportunity presented itself with a company called trial scope. Uh, and I happen to know the chief strategy officer there. I worked with him way back when, uh, when I worked at Deloitte, we happened to just share a, an office and we were friendly, uh, and a chief revenue officer position opened up at, at trial scope. Uh, and I jumped on it and joined the organization and, They've been through a couple of different iterations. They came to market many years ago as a company called Pharma CM uh, with a very innovative product in the pharma regulatory space. Uh, and the company you know, grew fairly quickly, uh, but then sort of plateaued um, with the personas they were going after in the use case. And they were starting to think differently about, hey, we have access to lots of different clinical trial data. We have lots of pr premier customers, some of the biggest pharma companies in the world, these big installs. Uh, and how do we repurpose you know, that kind of that uh, engagement into other go to markets. And that's what I was tasked with doing. Uh, and we took what was a um, fairly stale growth company um, and accelerated growth in a very short period of time. It was, um, you know, I want to say about a 10 to $12 million company within two years, you know, probably about 35 to 40 million. Um, and we did that just by thinking very differently by the way they, they already had their engagements and their relationships looking at the personas that surrounded that and what would be value to them, right? And what could we offer that was unique and different and really listening to customers. And uh, and we had a, a really good success story there as well. So pretty much, you know, it's when they hired you when all this stuff started to happen. Ah, no, I, <laughs> I mean, I can't, I can't take too much credit. I mean, we had an awesome team. Uh, you know, we found all the right people at the right time. Uh, we had commitment from a board that wanted to, to make things happen. Uh, that's one of the things, you know, from a leadership standpoint that that goes under the radar is you have to have the right people that want to invest yeah. and see the idea uh, is over here, but where you are today. Uh, so you got to have a lot of believers. And how, how is that like? So, I mean, you know, it's one of the things that we're going through as a company right now is, uh, you know, we're sort of, uh, I think, you know, deciding who we want to work with from sure. an investment standpoint. And I think, you know, who you partner with on that front 
it's kind of important because totally. that's probably what you know who's going to be sitting on your board and stuff like that. But you're already, you know, working with the board and sort of navigating those relationships and managing expectations. Like what that's what's that like? I got to be careful here. I got. I might have a board <laughs> yeah. member that listens to this. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing is, you know, first off, obviously, right? If you have the ability to put together your own board and um, and investors, you know, pick people you want to work with, pick people that believe in you, that believe in the industry. Um, one thing that I get a lot of advice from from um, you know one of my mentors, Jeff Kozlov, is is give your board Great some guy. some give your board some homework, right? Your board uh, has put up money, uh, and investors have put up money to be successful. Um, so they, they want to make this a success, right? And it's not just the money that they could necessarily bring to make the organization successful. It's their connections. It's their know-how. It's uh, their network of people for hires, right? You know, if you have a key hire you want, first people you should go to is your board. Yep. Hey, do you do you know someone that could be yep. a head of tech or a head of operations or yep. things like that? So, you know, having that transparency and knowing that they are actually a key member of the company and not someone that writes a check, huge game changer in being able to grow the company. Yeah. Define your ask, right? For like, sure. Make it easy for them to participate. Yes. And they may not know, you know, they don't know your business as well as you do. You know what you need and how you can, you know, maybe you leverage those resources. And it's hard because a lot of that is when you're reporting back on your quarterly or whatever cadence you have, you know, you want to be able to go in there and just tell constant success stories, right? Sure. Because of, that's that's your boss. Um, but the reality is, as a, as a leader in organization, it's really your job to expose all the problems, yep. right? And ask for help that's that's needed. And, you know, it's it's on them to help you, right? It's a yep. collaborative effort. It's a teamwork that needs to get, the, you know, the organization to the next level. So it's, I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, it's kind of, I don't know, it's, it's a major theme, you know, for our industry here on like yeah. the CX front, but it's expectation management. Totally. Right. Yeah. And I think it's just, I think when you truly know what's going on, you know, you know how to more or less, you should know how to articulate that, right? Yeah. As to like, hey, this is what's happening. This is current state. This is my strategy. And this is how current state's going to change the future state. Right? Yeah. And being able to like clearly articulate that, but also be in front of it, yeah. I think, and be very self-aware to me is kind of everything. And whether it's, you know, managing a board or yeah. you know not, maybe not managing it but working with the board sure so even just you know working with no it's managing you're definitely managing them <laughs> for sure but that's you know if you have the north star that where the organization needs to be the product the fit you don't have to have all the answers of how to do an implementation or how to operationalize it but at least if you have the idea and everyone's rowing in the same direction towards that idea uh it's it's much easier to ask and it becomes more clear to ask you know what those asks are essentially yeah. right that's that becomes the challenge is you know i get that question a lot which is like how can we help you and i don't necessarily have an answer for that yeah. this second right I, you know outside of get me more leads or you know get me this or give me more money or something <laughs> along those lines yeah but you know as you start to establish you know the, the the different operational processes your asks become a little bit more clearer so you know getting into the details is is key on that so what about like vision right and like you know where you're taking the business yeah. right and like vision and brand and all that stuff because i mean for me i mean as you can tell like sure, yeah. I i'm a little obsessed with that kind of stuff yeah. but i mean how important is that like you know working with the board or just you know working with your employees and just kind of i think making sure that they're aligned with i think where you want to take the business uh, i think it, it's probably everything right and the reason why is people at least in this day and age people join companies and there's lots of options right mm -hmm. because you know they want to be part of something right outside of the pay and the boss and all that they look at the organization, everyone goes to the company's website, everyone looks on Glassdoor, everyone looks at all the different pieces uh, and the experience and the feeling they get from working at that organization, you know, is impactful to their their lives, right? We spend a lot of our time, if not most of it, with our day-to-day -day jobs and, you know, most even more so than family in many instances. So you want to be a part of something that you believe in, that you're proud to be part of. Uh, and let's face it, like, you want to be part of a brand that's cool and fun and you want to be able to tell people Definitely that I'm cool. part of something, right? Yeah. yeah. And yeah, that's everything. Yeah. It's like when you tell your buddies, it's like, yeah, I work here, right? Yeah. It's like people check out like, wow, it's a pretty cool, cool. spot. Yeah. Like I can see why you work there. Yeah. And I think 100%. people are, you, you, people like kind of are proud to wear the jersey, right? Proud to be part of the team. I think you, I know, you, you sort of create this work ethic, this, I mean, people just care, yeah. right? Like they're staying up late, getting, I mean, to me, that's like the most inspiring part of all this. Like, getting to like the, the state that we're in right now and having ton of really talented people that are also self-starters, right? They're given, and if you're clear on vision, right? And you're clear on where you want to go, 
and those in, and those teams are clear on what they need to do, man, like just step back and let yeah. them create, let them do what they need to do. But I mean, you have to be clear on that vision so that, cause as it grows and as it scale, everyone sort of has to be working together. Yeah. And that's the hard part is like getting everyone to sort of collaborate. Everyone's like break down the silos and stuff like that. And I mean, like, and I think what's cool is like in start in building a company and starting things up, like you have a opportunity to not create silos from the beginning. Now they kind of naturally occur. Right. But I mean, I think there's ways that you can get in front of it and really, I think, enable collaboration. Yeah, I don't, I don't believe in like the work-life balance argument, right? Because I don't think a lot of what I do is work, yeah. right? Like this is, this, is, this is my life. This is how I go about it. I yeah. enjoy. And a lot of the people I surround myself with are part of that same sort of culture and belief in what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, and those that have worked with me before and will hopefully work with me in the future, you know, have that same, you know, opinion and, and feeling of it. And you know, I think that's a, that's a big, big change. And similar to you, right? You know, if I type a message on, you know, Slack with teams and it's 11 o'clock at night, yeah. I, you know, it sounds terrible. I don't think about, oh, it's 11 o'clock. I, something came up and I, I threw a message out there yep. and I don't think anyone that responds in my organization or organizations that I've, I've worked with before has the same feeling either, right? They're not, they don't no. look at it and be like, oh my God, it's 11. Why is somebody asking this question? It's because we're all rowing in the same direction. Yep. We all have a common belief. Um, we're not looking at the clock to punch in and out, right? We're trying to accomplish some really, really, you know, big but goals. It, but it's because of the culture you create, Correct, too, yeah. right? I mean, because I mean, I remember, man, like early days, and I, I think, I think, just bit the business environments fundamentally changed. But I, I remember, like, you know, I got, I get an email from like when I first started working, like fifteen years ago, yeah, and I get an email from my manager or someone like that, even if it was at eleven or like, you know, twelve o'clock. I'm like, shit, like I need to respond to this. Like yeah. I need to get on it. Like I'm, I'm thinking about that. Like yeah. I need to do it. And I mean, I think, I think what's cool is you build the right team and you create the right culture. Like, and yeah, you're literally just putting something there at 11 PM because like, wow, it's a great idea. I need to put it out there and maybe yeah. we can action that tomorrow. But people know, right. There's no pressure to respond right away. Like, dude, it's 11. Like, I hope you're sleeping right now. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but I mean, yeah, it's, I, I think, I think it really does come down to like the environment you really create for your workforce. And I think the leaders that sort of set the tone for the organization. Yeah. The response time you get from something internally really does tell you whether or not that person's committed to the yeah. cause and is part of the culture. Right. You know, I think we've all had employees before or people we've worked with that you have to send multiple messages on the same topic and follow up on lots of different, you know, things. And you know, whether it's an organizational skill or whether it's they got stuff going on, I think end of the day, usually it's they're not as bought in as you'd like them to be bought for whatever reason. Totally. And that goes down to the culture shit more than anything. I want to I mean, I want to like one of the things you just said, you know, you brought up work life balance, right? Yep. And how you sort of have a different perspective there. So I, ha I have to come back to that. Sure. Um, and, you know, I know I know your family pretty well. Too, sure. You know, mine. Sure. So, I, I mean, you know, and doing startups now. Right. I mean, and now you're you know, you're the CEO you know, of Proof Pilot. Yep. Right. It is your show right now. Like so they say. Yeah. <laughs> so they say. I mean, I, yeah. I hear once you get investors, that kind of changes. Definitely. And, yeah. yeah. You For have sure. you have bosses and yes. people that help direct the show. Yeah, they do. So but how do you how do you navigate things on the personal front? Like you know, like having that, like, you know, different perspective, yeah. right. And what work-life balance should be. And obviously since like, you know, I think the, all the changes over the last few years, like, how do you like manage that? Uh, so I have two young children. Um, and I think the, as you mentioned before, the idea about, you know, job yeah. and what your day to day is, is totally changed. Um, and you get two sort of different opinions. You have the people that shut their computer at a certain period of time and they spend family time and all that stuff. And, yeah. you know, I absolutely do that occasionally. <laughs> um, but I would say the other part to this is that I think is really important is I think at an early age, you know, I'm helping for my children to understand, you know, what work ethic is. Yeah. And, you know, while it's not the same work of yesteryear in a coal mine or wherever the case may be, <laughs> um, what my son and daughter are seeing is, you know, hey, if you want stuff and they want no, they want PS5 stuff, yeah. and yeah. you know switch and everything. Um, when they want stuff, there comes a work that needs to be done beforehand, yep. and I think it's important to show that um, you know at a very early age. So, you know, I pride myself in not missing baseball games and not missing ballets and all those pieces. But at the same end, I, know, heard, you I, get, I heard you get pretty involved in the baseball <laughs> games. Actually, <laughs> it's, well, it depends on how the umpires act. Yeah, I know. mean, I mean, what happened like two weeks ago? Yeah, uh, well, look, I mean. If you're going to be an umpire, 
All right. Don't commit to it if you're not going to actually call balls and strikes appropriately. All right. A ball can't bounce and then end up in the catcher's glove and you call it a strike. That's just not. Wait. So what'd you do? I may or may not have given the umpire my opinion on his, you know, his, the way he called the game. <laughs> and, and he may or not have told me I don't have to be at the game. So he wait. So he could like, so this, I mean, I assume you're sitting with all the other parents. Uh, uh, was Caroline there? Your wife? Of course she was there. Uh-huh, yeah, she was. Pleased. She was really impressed with the way I handled the situation. So you have all the other kids' parents. Wait, and how old is your son? I want to go. Yeah. So my son is nine. So this is a oh. 10 year baseball. <laughs> so. I just want to go on record as saying I did get a lot of you know pats on the back from other parents. You oh, know, to, see, you know, he, we did, he did the dirty up. work for the rest. Yeah, of Yeah, I like to think of myself. Wait, as, so what yeah. exactly? All right, so like it sounds like questionable calls from from the umpire. Questionable calls from the umpire. How many uh, ta- how many people are we talking in the stands? Uh maybe thirty. Nah, maybe forty. Or 50. Yeah, well, thirty. Yeah, forty. Yeah, wow. so, well, you got two parents, a kid. You have. Yeah, this 40 week, kids, weekend game? 25 kids. Weekend game? Yeah, so, weekend so, games. so you, got, you got the it's whole crew packed. There. Yeah, there's a lot of okay. people around. Yeah. So, wait, so, so bad call, so what happens next? No, I just, I politely, politely, <laughs> yeah, I <don't> know, politely. <laughs> politely told the umpire, hey, that was not a great call. So you're saying things under your breath, essentially. Uh, I may or may not have said something fairly loud near him for, you know, for him to hear me, but not necessarily hear me. But boy, you know, umpires are confrontational. So you nowadays. got in your face. Got in the face. We had a really? discussion. Yeah, and this is this is life. This is what wow. you're doing. So with, I said the game stopped at this. Point. No, no, no. We didn't. It wasn't you know? It wasn't that? It was I, I mean, in, how he's, he's in between? The game. It's in between innings. You know, we're trying. Oh, wow. We're changing over, and you know, were you on the field? But there was a, there was a fence between <laughs> us. He looked like he may or may not have wanted to climb that fence. That was, was near the backstop. This was near the backstop. We're really fence. painting a picture here. Yeah, really backstop. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, this is the highlight of my weekend like two weeks ago. Any parent who has a kid in uh, any sport, whether they have said something or wanted to say something, for sure has gotten that feeling of like, what the hell? That's yeah. a terrible call. What are you doing? Et cetera. That's, that's fair. Yeah. This is just normal stuff. That's fair. Like, we'll, I, we'll, I would have probably. We'll done see the same if it's thing. normal on some of the comments on LinkedIn, potentially. No, I, I think the parent, like, I don't know, someone, someone's got to say something. Some, yeah. I mean, everyone feels it. Maybe not everyone says it. I but pride myself. My styles, I like to say what other people think. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are a lot, you know, they don't want to, like, create the controversy and stuff like that. But I'm like, I'm who cares? You. Like, just rip the bandit off, see what happens. Yeah. You yeah, know, this everyone's is, thinking it. So yeah. don't be a 10 U base. So, I mean, did the calls improve at least? Uh, I still I distanced myself from the rest of the game after so, that. So, so, <laughs> could have could have improved. Not unsure. in a position to really answer <laughs> not, that question. Not, yeah, he, yeah, not not a hundred percent sure. Jeez. All right, so all right, so yeah. coming back to it all, like because I think we're we're sort of you know telling your story, right? Sure. We're going from big company startup, right? So yep. now, so I mean, I don't know if we close the loop on trial scope. Yeah. Um, but it sounds like that was like you're you're sort of like I mean that was really when you were involved with like truly helping sell a company. Yeah, strategy on what 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 the growth was going to look like. Who are the potential buyers? Why would that fit well in their portfolio? You found the buyer. We found the buy. I found the buyer. Knew that's the pretty buyer. cool. Like you yeah. actually like how did like I mean how do you sort of like figure that out? Um, you know, just looking at you know obviously being within this industry for a number of years, kind of identifying where this would fit, why it would make sense, and a lot of this is telling the story for the potential acquire right yeah. and uh, and why it made sense for them and how it could help disrupt where you know their competitors are and things like that so um you know we identified a couple buyers that made sense we presented it to those organizations one in particular which was informa which is ie sightline which is now norstella um wow, that's confusing yeah exactly um they, you know, they saw this as a really awesome opportunity to, to jumpstart a regulatory practice, disrupt one of their competitors they were up against. There was a gap. And but, but you, I mean, like, I yeah. mean, did you help sort of sell that to them in terms of like, hey, of if course, you do this, yeah. like, this is what's going to happen? Or, you know, like, how did like, you know, like that yeah. could be a good fit? At some point, you know, the financials of the company are what they are. Where the organization is today is what it is. But what you're when you're going through that process, what you're trying to do is you're trying to sell first and foremost the team and the expertise that are that are there. Sure. So myself, others that were there, not just me, obviously. And then what this can do for their business. So you have to paint that picture, yeah. right? So you have to know their portfolio, you have to know their product offering, you have to know their customer. Yeah. You have to identify what the expansion plan would be. You have to make it easy for the implementation of that. You have to know the sales force that's going to go after it. Why is it going to be easy for the sales force to quickly be it's able to say? not a lot say, of things. No, but these are all, 
you know, but when you're doing, um, you know, a, a, a pretty sizable acquisition, yeah. these are important things that you need to do and, and are expected. How, so. how does that process take? That that process. So, I mean, they, they knew the organization was going to be acquired for, for a bit. Um, obviously, every company goes through that internally. Yeah. Um, the due diligence process took about two and a half to three months, um, you know, from initial interest. I mean, there's a lot of dating, obviously, at the beginning that you go through. And then once there's some interest, you then... You know, then you start to expedite. What's the dating that. look like? Are you using apps and stuff? <laughs> there's, there's Tinder for companies. Yeah. You just swipe right and left. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but no, the, the 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 dating process is fun, right? Because uh, it's just like a sales pitch, except it's like a very different level. Yeah. And, um, you know, you're doing a little bit of guessing on why you think it would make sense, and you have to, you know, kind of sell it in a lot of those different ways. That's crazy, man. I mean, I have a ton more questions, yeah. but I, I'm conscious of you know not taking too much no, of your time. Fine. Um, sorry. So you had it like, so wait, so uh, all, like in all, like at trial scope, like from like the dating, you know, yeah. and like when things, you know, yeah. you know, move past friends with benefits, I guess, like, you know, like <laughs> I like how long was that process to like, you know, actually close that four months to signature three of yeah, about that. Is about that like, that sounds fast. It is. It is fast. Um, but when you momentum is everything. Yeah. Right? So when you get the right buyer, totally. you get the right interest level. And you do, which is like a very sales one-on-one thing, right? You transfer ownership, right? Yeah. You get that person as excited as you are about the the potential deal, about bringing, bringing the company on board. Um, you know, it's like snowball rolling down a hill, right? It just yeah. increases speed and size. Man, it's a, momentum is literally huge. It's every it's yeah. it's it's currency. It's the most in a startup like world. Like momentum is your most valuable. Totally, yeah. I mean, we're we're. I know you guys are going through this right now. We're going through this at, at Proof Pilot, but you know, you get one or two wins, yeah, and those turn into twenty overnight. And yeah. it's those one or two. Obviously, we all know are are the hardest. Uh, and then you know, it just it slowly becomes easier. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, I mean, whatever it is, any like part of the business, right? I mean, just like going to commercial, right? Like. Yeah. Logos get logos. Yeah. Get a few logos, right? Start stacking them a little bit. Build that credibility. Charles Barkley says when you win an NBA championship, the next year you become 30% better automatically just because you have the confidence. Yeah. And I think 100% could be applied to any business when you win your first big deal or your yep. first new product deal, whatever the case is, you instantly become better on your next go around. Yep. And you start to think about all the presentations and customers you met with six months earlier and you're like oh if i knew what i knew now yeah those are all wins and it's i mean honestly like i mean this is kind of a stupid story but i, I tell a lot of stupid <laughs> stories um but i played water pole in college like that was you know a big deal for me and but i like for me like i i, I like i like to score goals like i mean sure. i guess who doesn't sure but like the way in which i scored goals was i was closer to the cage Yep. But like, I remember, I'll never forget this, like my freshman year, like I took an outside shot, which is not what I typically did, but I did it and it went in. And I mean, just seeing that ball go in, like, I'm like, wow, I can do this. And it totally. changed me as a player because I had that confidence. Right. And, yep. and I say this to our team too, a lot. Like, I mean, you know, you want everyone in your company to, to play with the starters mentality, right? Cause like you're coming in there and you're playing to win the game. Yep. Right. And you're, you're have, you have, you put yourself in, I think different opportunities to gaining that confidence right and i think a lot of people come in like you know some of the people that start on the bench and they have this mentality where it's like i just don't want to fuck up yeah like because coach is going to pull me out so they're not even like you know thinking about like i want to win the game i want to score goals from like places i've never like you know shot before yeah they're just like i don't want to fuck up yeah and i think to me like it's a matter of creating that environment where i mean it's really everyone has to start a mentality right so they can build that confidence yeah playing not to lose is yep. a big transition and it's i know they're all I, everyone who's in business and sales right like you you try to use the sports related things but they are a hundred percent applicable yeah right when you get into a customer call or you're building your organization or making a hire and you're playing to to not lose yeah you fail every single time every time yeah totally. yeah you gotta i mean yeah you gotta be aggressive you gotta push yeah. So, I mean, and yeah. that's where you like with yeah. Trialsco or excuse me, with Proof Pilot right yeah. now, like you're kind of in that push phase right now. Yeah, we um, company had been around for a little bit. It's a Series B company, got new investors last year. Um, and with new investors, they want to do a leadership change. Uh, I had known the organization a little bit as a, a company that was going to be a partner type company with uh, with Trialscope and uh, knew the, uh, the chairman, knew some board members. 
uh, and it all fit together and was a, a really good match. But um, yeah, we, you know, it's one thing to, to get the money from investors. Yeah. Now it's how are you going to use it? Right. Yeah. And, and we did very similar to kind of how you guys are going about it at extend ops. You know, we went very hard on what are, what is our brand? What is our messaging? How do we get out there in the pharma tech health tech space? Um, there's a lot of companies that do kind of the same stuff with their own unique kind of take on it, but every website kind of looks the same. Every approach kind of looks the same. Um, and I just wanted to stand out and be different, whether yeah. it was the color scheme, the logos, the, uh, the messaging, our presentations, like anything we can to differentiate ourselves. You want to make it cool. hundred percent. Right? Yeah. Got to make not? it cool. But, yeah. And I think we've had a couple events where I'm about to come up to my, my year, uh, anniversary here, uh, at proof pilot, we've had a couple of different events and all of them. We've come up with very different, unique, like guerrilla marketing style, similar to, to how you guys are going about it. But the, uh, the thing that you won't hear is you won't hear anyone's not know who proof pilot is in the industry. Yeah. Maybe they don't know exactly what we do. Yeah. Um, and our, you know, our history and things like that, but everyone that can associate that brand, uh, that go to market and point to a couple different fun events that we have. You just got to get people to check you out. Yeah. Right? I mean, I who mean, else hires a Tom Cruise impersonator to stand at their booth? I mean, come on. I mean, the guy's actually pretty convincing. hundred percent. Like, but it, it's such a smart strategy just because, I mean, just think about how all of us like consume information now yeah. and like data. Like, I mean, if you're not working or even if you are working, I guess, really like people are on social media, right? People are on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, you know, Twitter, whatever, whatever the hell people use. And they're all checking things out. They're yeah. not telling you what they check out, right? Like, but they're looking at everything. And I think if you can kind of create a brand, right? You yeah. can do different things to kind of stand out, to be different. All you need to do is get people to open the door, yeah. right? Get them to your website, check it out. But it, it works, right? And you see the traffic you're driving. But like, I think it's being bold enough to take some risks, to be creative, to be a little different. And like, you know, like you yeah. bring like, you know, a Tom Cruise impersonator to a big conference, big scientific conference, mind <laughs> you. Like, it's very different. It's risky, right? It's almost yeah. like, you know, a little awkward at times too if it's totally. not done right. But like, man, it's worth the risk and it helps you stand out. So. When you scroll through LinkedIn and you look at all the companies that are out there in your space, right? Yeah. Every blog, every post on LinkedIn kind of looks the same, yeah. right? Send a, a, a somewhat provocative message on something that everyone's obviously thinking, but they all look and feel the same, totally. right? When you really start to think about w different ways to differentiate yourself, whether it's you know look, feel, design, or even obviously content, um, at a minimum, that's just how we all consume today, right? Yeah. We all scroll through, we see a quick blurb, and we we take that in and and, um, and think from there. And that's that's what I've been all about. How do we yeah. ensure that when someone sees Proof pilot, the messaging that they stop and they think about it and something different that they haven't seen before. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously, you know, you hope you have what it takes under the hood to get it done. That's, you know, <laughs> uh, I would say, you know, a year ago before I started, uh, I don't, I, you know, I don't think we were there yet. Yeah. And I think over the last year, as the organization has matured, um, as we've brought in, an, you know, amazing talent, as yeah. we've really focused in on, you know, what's the North Star? What are we trying to accomplish? Why is that valuable? Um, yeah, a hundred percent. I think we're, we're there today, and and that's kind of the point of going from you know a seed company to a Series B company yeah. and then beyond, right? You're you're making that natural progression, uh, and the most important thing along the way is you're going to have believers, other organizations that will be your customer. Yeah. Um, and one thing I've I've felt very strongly about is when you get those early adopters, you know, they are so important obviously to help guide the organization from their feedback um, and what you need to accomplish. Uh, but more personally, like someone took a chance on you, yeah. right? And I have one customer in particular that I've worked with now at a couple different organizations. Uh, and if she sees this, she'll know it's her. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, she's taking a chance on, on giving me opportunities multiple times. And, you know, I've met her with amazing delivery, right? Yeah. And also hopefully some good friendship. But the, the whole idea is, you know, you want to remember those people and you want to invest back into them. So I think that's always so, so important um, if you're staying in the same industry and in, in, in the just same relationships place. in general. I mean, even like going back to like when you were talking about, you know, your time at trial scope. Yeah. Right. And like, you know, you went there because I think you said you knew the chief strategy officer. Yeah. Right. But like, you know, when you were at Deloitte way back when. You had no idea that was going to happen, yeah. right? But, you know, you make these good relationships with people, 
right? And like these people will resurface, right? I mean, yeah. it's like, I don't know, you're going to run into these people. Again, a lot of these industries aren't that big. So, you know, how you sort of leave with different people, I think is really important because I mean, for me, when I look back just at, you know, what's helped me get to this point, it's some of the people that I never thought would have been part of the right. journey. And they end up sort of being your biggest supporters and totally. your biggest believers. So it's yeah. it's really cool. It's people cool. think of that though always internally, right? You always think about don't burn a bridge when you leave one company go to another. But yeah. you never really think about it on the customer side. No. And the customer, like the customer I just mentioned before, right? That's her name's Diane Montrose. She runs Moderna. Yeah. Um, and she's been an amazing advocate for for me and organizations I've worked at. Um, but you know, she was one of the original people that saw one of our products and services and was like, that's a really cool idea. I know it's not fully baked yet, but I'd like to invest in that. And, and when you, when you find customers yeah. that believe in you, I mean, and look, to, to be fair, right. You have to prove yourself to that customer. Like, and I think once you prove yourself, and like, honestly, this is sort of like our whole commercial yeah. strategy in a nutshell, where it's all about, you know, how do you build trust with your customer as quickly as possible? How do you, you know, how do you speed up the process of creating a mutually beneficial yeah. situation? And I think if you can do that well, and you can really deliver, it's, it's not just like, I think helping, you know, like the customer do what they want to yeah, do, yeah. right? It's also like that person you're working with within the company, how do you help them win? Like, yeah. how do you help them get promoted, right? So you're helping them both at a person, like kind of per personally, professionally, but also, you know, you're also helping the company too. Yeah. And, but the delivery you mentioned, right? Like that's so key, right? Like, you know, extend ops is, has now worked for, for me. I've been a customer of yours at now three different companies. Yeah. Oh, you know, and as much as I love you, like if you didn't deliver, I, you know, I'd have to go elsewhere and, you know, not only do, do you guys deliver, but you know, you deliver in spades. So obviously continue, you know, to work with you and, and use. Well, and I'd argue resources. too, right? Like when you like, I mean, even like some of our recruitment strategy right now for like strategic roles, right. Is finding like, you know, players in the industry, right. But like doers in the industry, people yeah. that are sort of like, you know, in very, I think involved roles operationally. And finding those people, right, and like their respective networks, right, it's just yeah. a matter of, I mean, it's it's what powers our whole business right now yeah. in our company. But I mean, you got to find those believers, yeah, like, and they're out there, like, yeah. and I don't know, it's it's pretty easy to like prove that once you know you do it right. Yeah, and I think for 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 you guys, right, you know, as a an experienced company, um, and for the most part, you, you know, supporting customer experience, you know, I look at some of the work that we've done together is is regards to patient experience, yeah. right, and that's you know, a little different. And it's a, it's a weird thing to think of patients as customers. Yeah. Um, but considering the fact that, you know, in the U S we're allowed to advertise drugs to cost to, to yeah. your patients, they essentially are customers yeah. in a lot of different ways. Uh, and I've seen, you know, incredible, um, amount of support and, um, you know, and basically the, the skill sets that you guys have in hiring, you know, customer support agents, you know, to actually support patients that are live in clinical trials. Like, I think that's been incredible and, and just shows that, you know, great talent can transition to any industry. Oh, everywhere. I mean, I think we should do this. Like, I think this is probably a multi-part podcast because I think <laughs> we covered your journey. Sure. We'll probably actually cut most of what I'm saying right now, guys, too. But what I'm thinking right now is what we do is I think this is, I think there's, this could be, I think this stuff's going to be good. There's a ton of quotes we can pull out of this and everything. I mean, we're done, by the way. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but how I'm <laughs> Huge shout out to Brittany Kelly and Carly Carolla at FW Rentals in lovely Las Vegas, Nevada for their support and custom logo work. FW Rental provides rental and custom build-out solutions for all of your event and production needs. We love you, Brittany and Carly. Learn more at fwrental.com. That's fwrental.com. And that's our show. CX and Jill is a production of Exo Studios, the creative marketing arm of ExtendOps. With today's host, Sean McCreary. Executive producer, Sean McCreary. Producers, David Spear, Fabrizio Coronado, and Memo Davalos. Editors and videographers, Santiago Aguirre, Alfonso Ramirez. Graphic support from Jordan Madrid, and social media guru, Claudia Corona.